welcome uh, any guests that are here. My name is Adam. I'm one of the elders here at Huntington Community Church. I just want to welcome you. Glad you have chosen to be with us this morning. Uh, so we have been um, working through a series called Who's Your One? And we begin a new series this morning. And so if you, um, if you did not bring a Bible, then uh, we have um, downloaded for you on a version app of the Bible. Um, if you find that app, you can go down the bottom right corner and click more. And then after you select more, you'll see something that says events. Click events and you'll see our church listed there. Just select that and it'll bring up uh, the scripture for today. But we have been going through a Who's Your One series. And um, we wrapped up last week. And this series has been about evangelism. This is what I, we have to make sure we understand this. That evangelism is not a series. Okay, my, my concern is, is some of you think, well, that's what we did back in May, and, and, and I did that whole prayer book thing, and, and I shared my faith in May, and, and now we're moving on to a new series, and I don't have to do evangelism anymore. No, evangelism is not a series, it's a lifestyle. Every day we wake up, we should be thinking about, Lord, who are you going to put in my life today to where I can talk to them about the good news of Jesus? And so evangelism is a lifestyle. We will do series on evangelism, but evangelism is not a series. It's a lifestyle. So um, we begin a new series today in the book of James. So I'm excited, and it's this whole idea of authentic living. And you think about all the things that are offered to us. Like there's so many things that's thrown at you, whether you're at the supermarket, there's magazines around, uh, just showing you like this is how you're going to have the best life. Or, you know, six ways to, to have a better marriage. Or three things um, you know, to, to, to have a, a, a more happier life. The book of James shows us um, this way of living, like, authentically. Um, and really, when you're looking at the book of James, it's really a, a how-to from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. So when you're reading the book of James... You could almost every section that you walk through in the book of James, you could go back to the Sermon on the Mount and go, oh yeah, I remember Jesus talked about this. And I'll go back this morning to part of what Jesus says um, uh, just in his teachings. There's a lot of what James talks about is what Jesus talked about. And so um, let me pray for us this morning as we we jump into the book of James. I want to pray for... Um, the Marshall Islands this morning. Uh, Father, we just stop as we get ready to read from your word and um, expound on um, the truth that you left us with. And Father, I pray that I would rightly um, teach from your word this morning, that I would not teach my own um, desires or my own um, gospel, but I would preach the one true gospel. And so Lord... um, pray that you would open up our hearts, um, our ears, our eyes to hear and see from you this morning, that those that need encouraged, that's just struggling right now, pray that this message would just encourage them. I pray those that maybe, um, that need admonished, um, that need to hear rebuke, that they would receive that this morning from your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that we would just trust your word, that it would be at work in each one of our lives. 
Lord, we stop and pray for the Marshall Islands. Pray that you would continue to do a great work there. Um, it's encouraging to know that the church is at work um, on these islands and that there are missionaries coming and missionaries going from these islands. I pray that you would strengthen them today. I pray for protection from cults and false religions that are attempting to deceive. So Lord, may they just cling closely to your word. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So the book of James. So we're going to be looking at um, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, and the idea that there's two gifts from God. So in this, you're going to see two gifts from God and... Um, a little bit about the book of James, um, most think it was written like late 40s, um, mid-late 40s, it's, uh, we, we quickly see the author is James, he identifies himself in the first verse, and this is actually uh, Jesus' half-brother, so it's his half-brother because you know, Jesus had no earthly father, and so this is the son of um, Joseph and Mary. And since Jesus was firstborn of Mary, this would be Jesus' younger brother. So as we look at this, let's look for these two gifts from God. So uh, verse 1 is this greeting. This is a very uh, common way in, uh, a Greek letter would start. And, and so it says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And so that's his introduction. Some things to keep in mind um, as we read this book. A lot of you uh, love the book of James. Like if I would ask you, you know, what's your favorite book in the Bible? Some of you this morning would probably say the book of James. It's one of my favorites. I love this book. But historically, it's had some uh, opponents. Most famous opponent of James would be Martin Luther. Martin Luther called this the epistle of straw, meaning it didn't have much to stand on. It wasn't very firm in the gospel. Uh, and, and what he's talking about is that you only see Christ mentioned twice. Here's one time. And then later in chapter 2 is Christ is mentioned. Where Martin Luther was obviously really impacted by like uh, the book of Romans. And so almost every chapter is just rich of Christ. And so this doesn't have that. It has a little different feel to it. Um, and so he was uh, not a huge fan of, uh, of the book of James. Um, he actually wrote that, like in your Bible, you have like this table of contents in the front. He wrote out above James, the epistle of straw in his Bible. Uh, and so uh, he was not a huge fan of it, partly because of what he was battling in his day. He was battling in his day this idea that you were saved by works. And so there's a part in James later we'll get to in chapter 2 that seems like there's some battle there that Martin Luther was all about. Uh, it's, by, it's by faith alone, by faith alone, by faith alone. It's not by works. And so it seems like James and Paul, the writings kind of fight against each other. And we'll see when we get to chapter 2 that they actually complement each other really well. And so later Martin Luther actually scribbled that out. He, he, he took that out of his Bible. But there was a point in time where he actually referred to James as the epistle of straw. Um, and so it's, it's, it's just, it's different than the other um, writings like Romans and Ephesians and Galatians. But it doesn't mean they're fighting against each other. It actually, I, I think it actually shows us how they're just like complementing the whole gospel. 
we need a book like James. Just very just simple and straight to the point. Some people have called this the Proverbs of the New Testament because it's just right to the point. It's very practical. And so um, this book will serve us well. And so we see here James, um, he identifies himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is so important for us to see. Um, I want you to think about James for a moment. He's the younger brother of Jesus. Uh, now, how many of you are the younger siblings? Just show of hands. Okay. Uh, I, too, am a younger sibling. Um, I have an older brother. Um, he's enough older than me where he used to beat me up, and I could never do anything about it. Okay? Uh, and just imagine James. Okay, now, you know how, like, the first child is, like, the golden child? Who, who's, who's the firstborn here? Let me see some firstborn. Okay, you guys are, like, all great and perfect. We know that, right? You know that, okay? Um, so imagine James, the younger brother of Jesus. Imagine just, like, growing up in, in that family, how difficult that would be to be James, the younger brother. And what you'll see is... is Jesus' family, early on, did not follow him as Lord and Savior. Uh, it wasn't until after the resurrection to where you see guys like James, Jude, listed as followers of Jesus. And I imagine it would have been really hard growing up with Jesus being your brother. Let's just be real. Um, you know, I know for me, uh, it was, I was always compared to the older siblings you know, where your sister never did that. Your brother would have never made those grades. And imagine, like, is, is, is Jesus, right? And, and, like, James, like, is going to get in trouble. And Mary coming to him saying, well, you know, well, Jesus never did that. And, well, well sorry, Mom, I'm not God, okay? <laughs> like, it, it'd just be hard to be in the shadow of Jesus. And so here's James writing... Now, I want you to see what he's writing. This is so important for us. Because I love my brother. There's no way I would ever call my brother Lord. Okay? And here he says, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would never. Now, when he had my arm bent back and he would say, you know, call me. And he, whatever he would say, I would call him. Like, if it was Lord, just let me up. Okay? Uh, and so here, James is saying he's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying that he's a servant of God and, okay, not, 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 not you know, or, but and of Jesus. He's a servant of his brother, okay? That's huge for us. It's also huge to understand that James grew up Jewish and the Jews were all about one God. There is one God. There is one God. And here, this is so important for us that, that he says God, and he says and, servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, showing that there's one God, but here that there's these three persons in God, that there's this priority within uh, the Godhead, that there's this trinity. And so the fact that James, a good Jew, would worship Jesus and the Father shows us something really important about who Jesus, who James believed his older brother was, that he was fully God. James wouldn't just lightly 
write that. That's a serious um, a blasphemy if James is wrong. So James believed that his older brother was God. And now he's saying he's a servant of God and his brother. It's an important truth right there in the very beginning. And then he's showing us who this letter's written to. To the 12 tribes in, in the dispersion. The 12 tribes can mean a couple things. It can either mean one, that he's referring to the Jews. So 12 tribes is the Old Testament language. There's 12 tribes of Israel. So this is a Jewish letter. Or it could be that he's writing to Gentiles and Jews, but who are true Israel. So this idea that he's writing to the church. Um, and and it, both are a possibility here. It's either the Jews who were Christians, or he could be talking about to the true Israel, the church. So it could be Gentiles and Jews. And there's something going on here that there's this, they're dispersed. They're, they're, they're spread out. They're not central there. And so what we know about James, James was one of the elders at Jerusalem church. And so as the Jerusalem church began to, to gather and meet, James was one of the elders there. And he's writing this letter um, when persecution started to come. And so when persecution came, the church spread. Uh, they didn't stay in Jerusalem anymore. And most notably, we see that in the book of Acts. In Acts, um, we see after the stoning of Stephen, if you remember that. So um, a few weeks ago, we read Acts 1, where Jesus told them to stay in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit came upon them. Then he said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit came. The church started to grow. There were thousands of people in the church at Jerusalem. And they were just hanging out. But then when persecution came, Scripture says, after the stoning of Stephen, the very next verse in the book of Acts says that because of persecution, they began to spread. That tribulation... Uh, that they saw the persecution of the church was the beginning of missions. And so when the church began to spread, um, everybody started to, to, uh, to disperse to different places. And so James is writing these letters. It could have been some that were in his church in Jerusalem that now is facing persecution. They're like, James, we love you, but we just feel like we need to go. And so James is writing this letter to um, all of these Christians who have um, spread out, who have scattered. And then we see in verse 2 this first gift. So there's two gifts we're going to see this morning. This first gift is uh, one that none of you like long for. None of you probably begged the Lord for this gift. The first gift is trials. Um, and so we see that in verse 2. Let's read that together. Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds. So I, I love here that it's just very generic. He just says various kinds. Um, um, and I, I love that it's just very general. And, and one thing we're going to see is that we're all going to experience trials. So the first point here from, from trials is to expect them. Expect trials. Notice back in verse 2 that it says when you meet trials of various kinds. Not if. It doesn't say, count all joy, my brothers, if you meet them, but when. 
we need to just expect trials to come. And sometimes I think we as Christians believe that since God is for us, that nothing bad will happen to us. And sometimes bad things happen, and we think, well, I need to, to turn to God, and then all my problems are going to go away. That, that is not the gospel. That is not anywhere in the Bible. Uh, and, and if someone's told you that, I, I'm sorry. That's just not in the pages of Scripture. Uh, in, in fact, the Bible and Jesus speaks opposite. He says that when you come to me, know that the world is going to hate you. That, that you're going to face these trials. And so we need to be ready. Um, we need to expect these trials. So what, what, what's going on here with these trials? What, what is a trial? I would say this, if you're looking for definition. A trial is something um, external. It's something outside of you that you can't control oftentimes. Um, it's different than temptations. Next week, we will see temptations. Temptations are a lot of times just internal battles that we face. Trials are things that are put in our lives. So things like sicknesses, difficulties, maybe it could be financially, things just not working. Being in a broken world, you're going to face trials. Um, unexpected deaths, uh, these are all types of trials and they're various and all of you have faced them, and, uh, and I think the real trials to you. So that's, I, I think that's maybe why James left it just kind of generic, just saying various, is because sometimes we are really bad at one-upping people, and, and so somebody will say like, man, I'm really going through this hard time, and they're just, they're just really just opening up, being really vulnerable with you, and sometimes like, you're going, oh, well, that's really not that bad. Let me tell you what I've gone through. And, and, you, and that person's like, wait a second, I'm, I'm trying to just be real with you? And you're one-upping me about your hard time? Like, come on. And so I love that he just makes it just very generic that each one of you has gone through a hard time. Whether, like some of these, we've got teenagers in the room, we've got high school, middle school, elementary students. You guys go through trials. You go through hard times at school. Um, could be a pop quiz. <laughs> might be uh, a trial in your life. You're like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Um, but we need to be ready because they're coming. So we need to expect trials. Don't be shocked when they come. And then we also need to embrace trials. Verses 2 through 4, look at this. So he says, count it all joy. And I love here, he, he, he tells us how we are supposed to respond, that we respond with joy. But let me just go ahead and say this. Does not mean that we put on this fake smile? Joy does not mean you walk around just like, hey, everything's great. You know, uh, I'm going through a really hard time, but, you know, just praise the Lord. Uh, joy is something that's just unshakable. That nobody can rip from you. It's not circumstantial. Uh, joy is rooted deep in you because you have something greater that you're looking forward to. And so joy doesn't mean that you're just always smiling and, and going, well, praise the Lord, this came in my life. Uh, you can go through something really hard and, 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 and not long for it, 
but still have joy. That you can still find joy in the Lord, um, even though that you're not excited about that situation. And, and so here James says, count it all joy or consider it joy, which is strange, right? Why in the world would we consider joy? Well, it's because the Lord is working. He's doing something through your trial. Let's keep going. So we're counting it joy. And notice he says, my brothers, meaning he's talking to Christians. My brothers, my sisters. The world does not understand this. The world does not understand that when you go through a trial to have joy. They just don't get that. But we as Christians, we can have joy when difficult times come. And so when, when you meet trials of various kinds, and this, is, this is the purpose here, this is why we can embrace it, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is why we have trials. Now, you need to understand this, that um, we have a God who's good, sovereign, and wise. There's nothing that happens to you that he doesn't already know about. And so there's no trial you go through to where he's fallen asleep and has forgotten about you. And so that's so important that you have that kind of doctrine about God, that he's good, sovereign, and wise. That's going to help you get through these difficult trials, to understand that he didn't forget about you, that, that, that he's good, that he's sovereign, he knew what was going to happen. He's, in fact, his hand is in it, and that he's wise. He knows that this in your life is going to be for a good purpose. Now, some of you, that's hard to hear, but it's, it, it's good for the Christian. He says that, that it's that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Your trials are making you perfect and complete. Some of you, you don't want to hear that message. You don't want to be put through that trial to become perfect and complete. Why do I have to do that? Why can't I just have an easy life and become perfect and complete? That's not how God has set it up. That's not how the world works. Some of you work out. I'm not one of you. I have worked out, but I'm not perfect and complete. I'm still lacking. But I know this, that when you work out, it's painful. Your muscles are ripping apart, growing back stronger. That you become stronger and stronger. The, more, the harder you work, the more you rip it apart, the more disciplined you are. You go through that. At the end of that workout, you're stronger than when you began. That's what this is talking about. That God puts you through this exercise. And part of it is testing your faith. You see that here. That uh, verse 3, that the testing of your faith. That God is putting you through this test. Now, we just finished up with this series in the book of Matthew. 
And we saw a very important parable back in Matthew. Matthew. Matthew chapter 13 is the parable of the soil and the seeds. You remember that one? You had these four types of soils. The seed was the word of God. And the word of God went in the four different types of soil. The first one um, was quickly snatched away. The second one, very interesting. Look at this in Matthew 13. So Jesus is explaining the this, this second one. See if it sounds like the book of, uh, of James. So Jesus is speaking here in verse 20 of, of Matthew's gospel. He says, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the second soil. This is the one who hears the word of God and immediately receives it with what? Joy. Does that sound familiar? So you have this joy. You're like, yeah, I love the word of God. This is great. Let's keep going. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So this is the testing of your faith. The Lord wants to know, are you going to stand firm? Or do you just love me because it's easy? Because I'm a good giver. And so as long as I give you good things and make your life easy, yeah, you'll follow me. But what happens if I turn up the heat a little bit? Am I still a good giver? Are you still going to trust me? Is that the only reason you love me right now? Why do you love Jesus? Do you love him because he makes your life easy? Because he's given you a good job, good health, all these material things that you love? You're like, man, Lord, I love you. I'll follow you. But what happens when he turns up the heat a little bit, when persecution comes in your life, when you lose that job, when somebody in your life gets sick? Let me just tell you, God never makes any promise anywhere in all of Scripture to where you're going to have a healthy life, where you're never going to die. We're all going to get sick. We're all going to die in some way. That's what we talked about just the last few weeks. We need to be ready to die, to leave this place. So why are we so shocked when people get sick? God has never broken a promise to us, but according to Matthew's gospel, when tribulations, when things of the world come, some fall away. What will you do during this time of testing? Will you have deep roots? Or will you fall away? We need to expect trials. I don't know if there's anything better I could tell you this morning than get ready. If you haven't gone through a trial, get ready. They're going to come. You're going to have something hard you're going to have to face. That we need to expect them. We need to embrace them. Know that God has not forgotten about us. He's not turned his back on us. We need to expect them. And the moment you think God's turned his back on you, that he doesn't love you, think about Jesus. God's beloved son. You think he had an easy life? He went through all kinds of trials. 
And the Father loved him. So we need to be ready. We need to embrace them. That God is at work in those trials. So that's the first gift. You like that gift? We love gifts, don't we? Like, man, give me a better gift. Well, here, this one's, this one's better news in some sense. I think the first one's good news, but here's one that's a little easier to hear. The second gift, wisdom. God wants to give you wisdom. And wisdom is an incredible gift from him. Um, wisdom is this idea of knowledge that we can use, that maybe like the uh, practice of knowledge. Uh, in some way, it's like common sense. And wouldn't it be great to live in a country with common sense? Uh, we just don't have that anymore. I'm not sure we ever had it, but Christians should have this idea of receiving knowledge and knowing what to do with it. How do we put it in the practice? It's not just knowledge. There's a lot of people who have knowledge, but they just don't put it in the practice. Wisdom is to be sought after. The Old Testament, when you're reading the Old Testament, um, it, it's highly sought after. Uh, God gave it to Solomon. Solomon made a really wise decision, and God said, I'm going to make you the wisest man ever to live. The book of Proverbs elevates wisdom. Uh, it says it's better than jewels, fine jewels. We should have wisdom. So we want wisdom. It's a gift that God wants to give us. So how do we get it? You ready for this? He makes it really easy for us. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, all right, let's stop there. Any of the, is that you? Any of you lack wisdom? Man, I do. I lack wisdom in a lot of areas. So how do we get it? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. What incredible gift. Guys, that's a promise from the Lord right here. Some of the best prayers to pray are the promises in Scripture because you know they're true. Scripture says God cannot lie and if, the, if Scriptures are breathed out from His mouth, if this is God's Word and God cannot lie, then we can bank on this. This is a prayer we should all be praying. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. And I love, you're going to see three um, uh, observations here about wisdom on what God does with it here. Look, look, look who he gives it to. Number one, uh, we see here, he gives it generously. I, I love that. He's, he's not stingy with it. He's like, let's see, let me see, I got just a little bit left. Let me just give a little bit to you. Uh, maybe, yeah, a little bit to you. Oh, goodness, you need a whole little bunch. Let me just... Give something to you, just dump it all. Like, he, he's, he's generous. He, man, it, it, he, it's unlimited. Like, he, he's never going to look into that bag and it's going to be empty. He's always going to have more to give out. He's a generous God. And so he wants to give his wisdom to us. And I mean, I love that promise. That he just wants to lavish upon us his wisdom. So let's pray. Lord, I, I need wisdom. Please, please, Lord, give me wisdom. This, this trial that I just received, 
I don't know how to get through it. Financially, it's hard right now. Um, the sickness is overwhelming. I just don't know how to respond, Lord. I, I need wisdom. I, I know you've called me to stand firm, to not quit. But I'm going to need your help. Lord, give me wisdom on how to respond through this trial. The Lord says, fine, I'm going to just lavish. I'm generous. I'm a generous God. And then, and then look who he gives it to. He says, to all. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm just going to give it, I, you know, I've got so much, but I can only give it to those who go to seminary and who have a, this Bible degree or to the pastors or who made it to church on Sunday. Uh, yeah, he doesn't say, uh, did you go to church? Did you, are you in a community group? Have you volunteered this week? He says, I'm going to give it to all. Oh, man, I love that. Men, women, old, young, black, white, give it to all. He doesn't show partiality. And you're going to see the, the letter of James, we, we get into a section of partiality where God is, you know, God includes, but sometimes the church doesn't include everyone. That we play favorites, we have favorites, and we, and we show favoritism. God's lavishing his wisdom. He's being very generous to all. So he's being generous to all, third, without reproach. Reproach is not a word that's usually in our vocabulary. It just means without fault. That he's, that he's not just like looking at you when you, when you ask, like, Lord, I, can you please help me with this situation? Like, I just need your wisdom, Lord. He's going, why should I give you anything? I know what you've done. You're not going to use it anyways. You're going to do what's best for you. He's not blaming you. You know, sometimes when people ask, you maybe kids will ask parents, will ask us for help or something, and we start blaming them. Well, if you just listen to us in the first place, you wouldn't need, you wouldn't need help. God's just saying, hey, just ask me. I'm a good father. Ask me for help. I'm going to lavish upon you, and I'm not going to blame you for asking. In fact, I want you to ask me for help. See, when we ask God for help, it's showing that we need him. And I need to be reminded of that. So often I... I, I get up about my day and I just, I think that I can accomplish my day in my own power. And I think that's part of why God puts trials in my life. It cuts my legs out from underneath me and makes me get on my knees and pray. And, and sometimes like if things aren't bad, I just don't pray. And that's just the truth for a lot of us that prayer is like what we do when things are bad. And, and, and uh, it, it shouldn't be. I'm not saying that's right. It's just reality for a lot of us. And so that's why trials come in our life, so that it wipes our legs out from underneath us, tells us that we cannot stand on our own, that we need help. And so when we come to God for help, he's like, I, he doesn't go, well, I knew you'd be back. Oh, yeah, you need something again, don't you? He's just right there waiting for us. Isn't that incredible? Doesn't that make you want to run to him right now? That we have a God who doesn't blame us for just coming to him. And sometimes we just come to him with our lists. God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Think about 
how you, what your prayer life is and think about what if somebody just came to you and talked to you the same way. It'd get old, wouldn't it? But yet God's not looking at you with reproach or blame. He's just a good, patient father because he's knowing that you're a work in progress. And so that's why you're going through this test so that you can be perfect and complete. But you've got to go through this process. This is what the Bible calls sanctification. It's a big fancy word that just means it's a process, that you're, you're becoming more like Jesus. But the way you become more like Jesus is going through this test. And so he's putting you through this test, um, but he's giving you what you need to get through it, this wisdom. We need wisdom. Um, and, and so we're asking for it. Um, and he's giving generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Now, let me say this, though. This wisdom is conditional. There is a, a way in which we have to ask in a right manner, or it won't be given to us. So it's not just like this magical spell that you read or say, and God's obligated to do it. There is a condition here, and we see the condition in 6 through 8. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So let's look at verse 6. So this is the condition. This person must ask in faith with no doubting. Uh, this doesn't mean that, that, uh, that you don't have moments of doubts. We've kind of spent some time on, on, on doubt when we went through the book of Matthew. Um, I was reading one commentary this week, and it actually used the illustration of uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So that had my attention. It's a very theological sound movie, of course. Uh, that's, that's a joke. Um, uh, Near the end, when Indiana is almost to the tomb where the, the cup is, the girl's there, he has to go through these tests. Remember that? And one of them was a step of faith. And, and he, he got to this big um, uh, divide, and there's no way he could get from one side to the other. He couldn't leap. And uh, his dad, through his great research in his journal, had found the... The, the secret to getting from this side to the next, there was actually this invisible uh, bridge. And they had to take a step of faith. He couldn't doubt. And so he's kind of gathering up enough faith. And he knew that if he doubted, he would fall. So he's kind of uh, gathering faith, and he takes that step of faith, and then all of a sudden he can see this bridge. That's not what James is talking about here. This is this idea of, of wavering. So think of more like you see in verse 8 uh, that this man, he's double-minded. That's what it means by doubting, that, that, that you doubt, like you hear the promises of God, like here in church or maybe when you're reading scripture, the promises of God, you go, yeah, I, I see that, 
But then in the same breath, like, you're, you're, you're believing and, and, and saying, like, but I got to do my own thing. That's what it means here by doubting, that you're a double-minded man, that you're unstable, is what James is saying. You've got, think about this, I, I, um, I grew up near the Canal River, and I spent a lot of time on the Canal River. And um, my dad had a little, little, uh, little jumbo, little, little tiny boat we'd go out fishing all the time. And we had a little dock we'd tie it to. And um, I learned very early that uh, if, you, if you untied the boat first, uh, the way the current would run, it would start to, to go away from you. And I remember one time getting, I had like one foot in and one, one foot in the boat, and one foot up here, untying the boat. And it began to take me out. And I just began to stretch farther and farther. That's, I wasn't stable, right? And you can probably picture what happened. That's what James is giving us a picture of here. It's a man who has one foot on firm foundation, the dock. And one foot in a boat that's taking you away. That's what happens for so many of us. We have one foot on firm foundation. Yes, Lord, I will trust you. I know that whatever comes my way, you can, you can take me through this. I was reading earlier with, uh, with the band um, and the AV team uh, from Philippians. We were just spending time praying this morning for the service. We're reading through Philippians. Philippians 4 talks about this. Paul says that whatever circumstance, Lord... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever circumstance, I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound in any, any and every circumstance. And some of us, we, we know, Lord, you can bring me through this. But then you go, yeah, but I got to go out and do it my way. And, and you're not trusting the Lord. That's a double-minded man. And you're not going to receive wisdom. Because the Lord goes, you don't trust me. Why don't you just put both feet here and trust me? That I'm a good God. I want to give you wisdom. I want to get you through this trial. I want to grow you to be stronger. But you've got to stop doing it your way. You're so unstable. And you go, yeah, Lord, I, I'm going to live for you. But I'm going to trust the world's way. Some of you take that kind of counsel, that, that, that you're going through a trial, and some of the worst counsel you get is in the workplace. <laughs> and and you'll, you'll be here on Sunday mornings, and you're reading the Bible, maybe in your alone time, and, and, and you know when trials come, you are to do this. Your marriage is hard. It's difficult. It's a trial in your life. Yet you go to work, and you know what the Bible says, that you cling for better or worse. Then you go to work, and what does your buddy tell you? Oh, man, she's never going to change. He's not going to stop doing what he's doing. He hasn't now. You see how we're unstable? That we're so shifting. James says we got to ask without doubting. 
And we trust that whatever the Lord is putting us through, He's going to bring us through it. And we're going to be strong on the other end of it. Jesus was a man who never had a double mind. He was never unstable. He was the perfect man. He was so single-focused. People did all kinds of mean things, cruel things to him. And he was just so focused. He knew that what he was going through, that, that, that it ultimately had a purpose, was going to redeem mankind. And he never wavered. There was a moment. See, this is where I want you to see that doubt doesn't mean question. Because there's a moment where Jesus was in the garden. And if you don't have a good theology of this, you're going to think that Jesus doubted. When Jesus was in the garden, there's a moment where he just didn't want, and there's a part of him, the, the humanity of, of Christ did not want to go through that suffering of taking on the sin of the world. And he prayed a prayer, he said, Lord, take this cup from me, take this suffering from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours will, your will be done. So in that moment, so, so that's what I mean earlier when I said, it doesn't mean you just smile. I don't think Jesus was smiling going to the cross. But yet, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, it says that he went to the cross with joy. I don't think he was smiling on the cross. Praise the Lord. But he was firm he didn't doubt. He was unwavering, knowing that the Lord would bring him through it. And the Lord, and, and, and the Father elevated his name above every other name through the death of, uh, through the death of, of Christ. He was so focused on the cross. And this morning... I pray that however the Lord has spoken to you, that, that there's some way he's speaking to your heart right now. Maybe you are going through a trial. And you need to know, just stand firm. Don't, don't doubt. Ask God for help. Say, Lord, I need your wisdom. How do I get through this? Where you don't have one foot in, in God's wisdom and one foot in the world's wisdom. That you stand firm and you trust him that he's at work. He's not left you. Maybe that's how the Lord's working in your life. Maybe you, things are good, um, and, and so maybe you just need uh, to be ready that you're going to, at some point in your life, you will face a trial. You need to be ready. Maybe some of you, you, you have no idea what I'm talking about, that you've, you've never given your life to Christ. Um, maybe that's how the Lord spoke to you this morning. You need to surrender your life to Christ this morning. We are going to get ready to uh, take of the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper, is a, it's a time of reflection. We're looking back to what He's done for us. That He died for your sin, for my sin. His body was broken, beaten. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of sin. And so as we look at this James passage... I love that verse 5 where he says that he gives generously to all without reproach. 
that should make us reflect on what he did initially at salvation. At salvation, he gave generously. He didn't hold anything back. He, he, he forgave all of your sins at salvation. And he, and, and he wasn't exclusive with just the Jews. It was to all mankind, all humanity. So he gave generously to all without reproach. He didn't blame your past, all the sins that you've counted. You keep going, I'm too bad. There's no way God could forgive me. He's not counting them. He's welcomed you. He's welcoming you to, to his throne. And so as the gospel started there for us at salvation, with God being generous to all without reproach, he continues to do that with wisdom this morning. So you come this morning to the table reflecting on what he's done for you. They, he, he's given you life, life to the fullest. He didn't hold anything back when he gave you his, his salvation. And so reflect on that truth that he's forgiven all your sins, that you are blameless in his sight. You're a work in progress, but he knows that he's going to finish the good work that he started in you, Philippians 1.6. So this morning, we invite you to come. If you are a follower of Christ, then once you are ready, and ready means that you are repentive, that you've repented of all your sin, then you come to the table. They're both the same. So you come dip the bread into the cup, and then you, you take of the Lord's Supper this morning. If you are not a follower of Christ, then we ask that you just stay where you are, that you reflect on why you've never given your life to Jesus, and that today would be the day of salvation. I'm going to be in the back. If you'd like to talk about how to be saved, and it's really, it's amazing how easy he made it to be saved. Um, that's really about humbling yourself, that you're inviting him into your life, that you're giving him control of your life. And I would love to tell you more about that. So I'll be in the back if you want to talk to me or pray. Um, but you come to the table whenever you are ready. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would get our hearts ready, that we would not take of the table too lightly. You warned the church at Corinth that they are making a mockery of the table, that they are just coming to, hit, to take a snack. Lord, I pray that we would come in a right manner, that we are Remembering what Jesus has done for us. That, that he was willing to die in our place. And his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So may we reflect on that and just continue to praise your name. How kind you've been to us. So whenever you're ready this morning, you come to the table.